0: Welcome to the USMLE Step 2 Success Podcast. I'm Dr. Rajani Katta, author of The Successful Matchbook. And in this podcast, I share clinical cases with targeted teaching points. This podcast is not affiliated in any way with the National Board of Medical Examiners and cases and teaching points are not meant to serve as an official study guide or medical guidance. I've been a faculty member for over 20 years, and I've advised hundreds of residency applicants. I know how important standardized test scores are in the application process, although I always remind my students that they're just one piece of the application puzzle. If you'd like to learn more on how to succeed in the residency match, you can sign up for a free 100-page excerpt of The Successful Matchbook on our website, thesuccessfulmatch.com. Dietary supplements are big business in the United States and across the world, but they also carry big risks. In today's episode, we're going to talk about dietary supplements that caused harm in seven different cases. In the first case, a patient presents to the emergency room with clinical signs and symptoms that are consistent with a myocardial infarction. However, laboratory testing, specifically of troponin levels, are normal. The patient was subsequently sent home and then later died of a myocardial infarction. What dietary supplement was the culprit? Was it melatonin or saw palmetto or biotin or red yeast rice? In this case, the culprit was biotin. Before we speak further about why biotin was the culprit, I want to present the next set of questions in case this is your second round of listening to this episode. In the next case, you have an elderly individual who takes melatonin. What are the potential side effects? In the next case, a patient is taking St. John's wort for depression. What are the potential side effects? If a patient is taking Benadryl to help them sleep, what are some of the side effects apart from drowsiness? In a patient who's taking red yeast rice for hyperlipidemia, what side effects do you need to be concerned about? A pregnant woman asks about the use of saw palmetto for hair loss because she saw it sold in a medical spa. What do you counsel her about potential side effects? And then finally, a patient is on replacement of thyroid medication for hypothyroidism and on routine laboratory monitoring tests, has a low TSH level. However, this is due to use of which supplement? Those are the upcoming questions, but we'll go back to our original case of a patient who had clinical signs and symptoms consistent with an MI, but troponin levels were normal. The supplement that was the culprit was biotin. Biotin is also known as vitamin B7, and the FDA released a warning just a few years ago that because certain lab tests use technology based on biotin, that certain lab tests can be interfered with when patients are on high-dose biotin biotin is found in many hair skin and nail supplements and these are very commonly used by patients so it's really important to specifically ask about the use of supplements before you order any lab tests in fact a lot of hair skin and nail supplements use biotin doses that are up to 650 times the recommended daily intake so a normal intake of biotin is not going to interfere with any laboratory tests but when you have those high dose supplements it can interfere with multiple laboratory tests big one well there are several big ones but one of the big ones is that it can falsely decrease troponin levels and in fact the FDA has reported at least one death due to this if we talk about supplements in general there are a few specific things that you need to know a from the standpoint of clinical practice and b for the standpoint of the USMLE test The first thing to know is that supplements are regulated as foods they are not regulated as pharmaceutical medications so if you had a question where they asked which of these supplements is FDA approved for the treatment of hyperlipidemia the answer would always be none of them because there is no supplement that is FDA approved there is no such thing as FDA approval for supplements in fact the way the laws are set up in the United States anybody anywhere can bring a dietary supplement to market you do not need to prove any evidence of efficacy you don't need to provide any evidence of safety you don't even need to provide any evidence of quality Now, manufacturers are expected to adhere to good manufacturing practices, but there is very little oversight of that practice. The FDA just doesn't have the manpower to do a lot of these factory inspections, which is why every year there are multiple reports of serious issues with supplements. So multiple reports of adulteration of supplements with prescription medications. So for example, A lot of muscle supplements have been adulterated with anabolic steroids. There are also a lot of reports of contamination. So this could be contamination with heavy metals like lead and mercury, or it could be contamination with microbes, such as certain probiotic supplements that have had issues Beyond that, there have also been serious issues with quality of dosing. So sometimes doses are too high or too low based on what the supplement facts label indicates. But regardless, we're not going to focus on that. What we're gonna focus on is the known side effects that occur with some of the dietary supplements. So there is an office of dietary supplements that is a part of the NIH. We also have to be aware of complementary and alternative medicine in general. And one of the things that's really important from clinical practice standpoint is to get a complete medication list. And one of the things I know from practice is that many patients do not regard their supplements as medications. So one thing that's very important is when you're taking a drug history, you specifically ask about all prescription medications, All over-the-counter medications and all dietary supplements and that might include vitamins minerals herbal medications it's really important to ask about those questions certainly if you're seeing a patient who might have an allergic reaction it's very important to ask about these but there are a lot of reported drug supplement interactions so it's another really important area to be aware of So in the second case, we have an elderly individual who is having issues with their sleep. And so because of that, they ask your thoughts about melatonin. Is this something that they could take? What are the potential side effects? Are the potential side effects of this list, what is the most likely to occur? Urinary retention or impaired balance or drug interactions? Well, with melatonin, the big concern is that it can certainly cause drowsiness that's why it's often taken for sleep but it has also been described as causing impaired balance so it's definitely something to be very cautious about in your elderly individuals because it increases their risk of falls it has not been reported um, that much in terms of drug interactions or urinary retention but One other potential question is if you had a child and the parent asked about the use of melatonin because the child was having sleep issues, what would you counsel the parents? Well, melatonin has been described as being useful for sleep in up to four weeks. However, animal studies have indicated profound effects on the reproductive system and in children it is not It is something to be really cautious about and something that requires further study. Remember that melatonin, even though your patient might think of it as a dietary supplement, melatonin is a hormone and so not something that would be recommended for long-term use in children. Now the next patient is a patient who comes to you and is asking about the use of St. John's wort for depression, for mild depression what are the potential side effects that you counsel the patient on? Is it drowsiness? Is it potential drug interactions? Or is it urinary retention? Well, in this case with St. John's wort, you really need to talk about the risk for drug, drug interactions, or drug supplement interactions, rather. St. John's wort has had some reports of efficacy in the treatment of mild to moderate depression. However, It has been banned in France, and in many countries, the use of St. John's wort requires a prescription. In the United States, it's available as an over-the-counter dietary supplement. Anybody can purchase it, and there are no labeling requirements for supplements beyond just... um, a standard statement that says this product has not been evaluated by the FDA. And so even if it is known that St. John's wort has drug supplement interactions, that's not something that's required on the package insert or on the label. So it's really up to the physician to counsel the patient on that. Now, it has multiple drug interactions because it induces the cytochrome P450 3A4 system. And so because of that, certain drugs will be metabolized faster, meaning that you will have decreased effectiveness of certain medications, such as lovastatin, Um, And other medications that are metabolized by the cytochrome P450-3A4 system. Now, in terms of other drug interactions, have to be very cautious with other antidepressants. You never want to take St. John's Wort along with other antidepressants. In terms of sleep issues, St. John's work can impact sleep, but it's not that it would cause drowsiness. In fact, it's been reported to cause insomnia and to cause vivid dreams now in the next case you have an elderly individual who's been having sleep issues and he wants to start taking diphenhydramine at bedtime which is sold under the brand name of Benadryl in the United States he wants to start taking diphenhydramine for issues um, for his sleeping issues apart from the side effect of drowsiness what other side effects do you need to counsel this patient on would these side effects include drug interactions, would they include a long-term risk of dementia, or would it include rash? Well, in this case, with the use of diphenhydramine, it's important to recognize that one of the major side effects are those of anticholinergic side effects now in low doses at short periods of time diphenhydramine is well tolerated although um, it does cause drowsiness uh, although sometimes it causes paradoxical um, alertness which sometimes parents have discovered to their horror but Benadryl or diphenhydramine or other antihistamines such as hydroxyzine can have anticholinergic effects. And this is really going to be more likely at higher doses or even at lower doses in somebody who's very sensitive. And this is something that I've seen time and time again. I remember one patient that was hospitalized with severe itching and the patient was prescribed multiple or received multiple doses of hydroxyzine. And then the service was called because the patient developed urinary retention and that's because of those anticholinergic side effects you might also see things like dry mouth now the reason this is really important is because there was a study that came out that showed that patients who were taking an anticholinergic medication for three years or longer had an 50% plus percent increased risk of dementia as compared to patients taking such medications for three months or less. So in other words, if you are taking a medication with anticholinergic effects for over three years, we're really concerned that you're going to have an increased risk of dementia. In that one study, 54% higher risk of dementia. And when you think about anticholinergic medications, that includes certain antihistamines, such as diphenhydramine and hydroxazine also includes tricyclic antidepressants. It also includes certain drugs for Parkinson's. So this is one where you really need to caution your patient that long-term use of this medication is not suggested um, just for the use of sleep. So that's something the patient really needs to be counseled on in terms of the long-term use. Now, the next question is about a patient who has hyperlipidemia and is really hesitant to take statins because they've read things in the newspaper about it. So instead, they want to take red yeast rice. What side effects do you talk to your patient about with red yeast rice? Are these side effects drug interactions or drowsiness or dementia? Well, in this case, the side effects to discuss are um, a potential, again, um, similar to St. John's wort, to induce the cytochrome P450 3A4 system. So, very concerning to have that drug supplement interaction. On another note, there are big questions of whether or not this is efficacious. There's really not much proof, but it's become very popular. So patients might ask about the use of red yeast rice as an alternative to statins. The other side effects that have been reported include myalgias and increased LFTs. So interestingly enough, some similar side effect profile to statins with those myalgias and increased LFTs as a potential side effect. Um, But here the answer would have been the potential for drug supplement interactions. Now the next patient is a pregnant patient who has experienced some hair loss and she was in a medical spa and she saw a product called Nutrafol that was being heavily advertised for the use of hair loss. Nutrafol contains multiple vitamins and minerals and herbs including saw palmetto. What do you counsel the patient about the potential side effects of saw palmetto would it be impaired balance drug interactions teratogenicity or rash well in this case the big concern is of teratogenicity one of the reasons that saw palmetto has become very popular in hair loss supplements is because it is a 5 alpha reductase inhibitor so, 5-alpha reductase is the enzyme that converts testosterone to dihydrotestosterone. So, if you're able to inhibit this enzyme, you have that decrease of um, end-organ hormonal effects. So, that's why you might see saw palmetto as a treatment for hair loss. It's very popular as an, over the, uh, or as an online um, supplement in the treatment of benign prostatic hypertrophy because of that effect. However, um, some side effects that are very important to be aware of is that there have been reports of increased bleeding. So you really wanna be careful in your patients at risk. Also, if you think about anything that interferes with hormonal effects, that could be a category D teratogenicity. So you could have effects on the reproductive organs of your fetus. So in this case, very important to counsel your patient on the risks of teratogenicity. And then the final case is that of a patient who You are treating for hypothyroidism, and the patient has been stable for years. They're on levothyroxine. Um, When they come into you for routine laboratory monitoring, you find that their TSH is low. You are therefore planning to increase their prescribed dose of thyroxine, but before you do that, you're going to specifically ask them about a use of a particular supplement. What supplement is that? Is it melatonin? Is it saw palmetto? Is it biotin? Or is it red yeast rice? Well, in this case, this circles back to the original supplement that we talked about. It's biotin. So you really want to ask are you taking high dose biotin supplements or are you taking a skin, hair, and nail supplement that might potentially have a high dose of biotin? Because we know that it interferes with multiple laboratory tests that are. Based on the use of biotin in that laboratory assay Um, and so what it may do when you're looking at um when you're looking at tsh is that it may falsely decrease tsh levels or may falsely increase t4 and t3 levels so patients might wrongly be diagnosed with hyperthyroidism or they may um be uh or they may be wrongly diagnosed with an incorrect thyroid replacement medication dosage. So there's a lot more that we could talk about with supplements, but it's definitely a very important area to be aware of, certainly clinically. Very important to always ask about those prescription medications, over-the-counter medications, and then definitely dietary supplements. And when we say dietary supplements, you might have to ask your patient specifically, are you taking any vitamins or minerals or herbal medications? And I've really seen a lot of supplements come and go. There seem to be a lot of fad trends in this area, but definitely seeing a lot more reports of harm. So, very important to be care to be aware and cautious of any complementary and alternative medicine. And in this case, for test purposes, very important to be able to counsel your patients on the harms or the potential harms of these supplements so that's it for today's episode with our seven cases of potential harm from dietary supplements and um, if you had a chance I would just love to ask a favor if you would leave a rating or review with your suggestions and feedback on the podcast I would really appreciate it I'm Dr. Rajani Kata here on the USMLE Step 2 Success Podcast.